The Samsung Galaxy Z Fold 2 is out, as are the reviews, and this is too good a device to not talk about. It's also too expensive a device to buy for a new podcast, but I think I may have solved that problem. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and I am giddy as all get out. Why, you might ask? Well, on a lark, I set up a Google Voice number a long time ago, and I put it up on benefitofadowd.com, and... Well, I'll be honest, I kind of forgot about it. Until this week, when a listener called in and left a voicemail saying that they don't have Twitter, but they really enjoy the podcast, and that just made my entire week. So thank you to whoever you are, and more voicemails are welcome. The number, by the way... I had to look it up, is 312-725-4684. That's 312-725-4684. I look forward to hearing from you. And holy crap, what a busy week it's been. Arguably the busiest week since I started this podcast. I'm honestly not sure how to include it all in one show, but I'm going to try because that's what we do. And by we, I mean... I. Then, after that, we sit down with Chris Velasco from Engadget to talk about one of the biggest, literally, phones of the year, the Samsung Galaxy Z Fold 2. But as I said, we've got a lot to cover, so let's dive right into the news of the week. Depending on who you ask, the world is going to be a weird place once all this COVID stuff is behind us. And believe me, I want to put this virus in the rearview mirror as much as anyone. I mean, I don't go anywhere, and I still work from home, but still. But I can tell you one category of people that have major mixed feelings about the, all of this are road warriors and people who travel for work. Sure, Zoom is nice. You get to sell $20,000 servers while wearing pajama pants. I get the attraction, and by the way... Don't ask what I'm wearing as I record this. But airlines are starting to anticipate a return to business travel, arguably the core of their business, in the not-too-distant future. Southwest Airlines, in the meantime, doesn't see that happening. As a matter of fact, Gary Kelly, the CEO of Southwest Airlines, anticipates a long recovery to return to 2019 travel volumes. He's thinking, like, a decade. And you know what? He's cool with that, because Southwest is prepared for it, or... So he says, because, you know, he kind of has to say that to investors. But seriously, remember some years back when airlines were all crying poor and getting bailouts by the government? Southwest wasn't one of those, because it seems like Southwest generally has their stuff together when it comes to preparing for economic downturns. Plus, their seats are stupid cheap, which is why I still fly Southwest. This podcast not brought to you by Southwest Airlines. But again, Southwest, DMs are open. So will it be a decade before airplane life returns to normal? It honestly wouldn't surprise me. Hell, a lot of businesses are thinking, boy, it's a lot cheaper to have people work from home than it is to pay for offices and stuff. And those sales boys can still sell $20,000 servers over Zoom. But then again, if you're selling $20,000 servers, chances are you really don't care about a $500 plane ticket, a $1,000 hotel room, and $2,000 stripper. <clears throat> I mean, expense accounts. So we'll see, hopefully sooner rather than later. 
So it turns out that not all is well with Android 11, and one area that is particularly affected is in Android Auto. Android Police has the write-up of users reporting issues ranging from audio cutting out, a missing calendar app, Waze not working, and at least two reports of phones getting soft-bricked, forcing a factory reset. So, overall... It's not going very well. I'm actually kind of glad that I haven't used Android Auto myself since the update. Of course, I haven't used it because, as it turns out, upgrading the stereo in my 15-year-old car was not a great idea. Who could have seen that coming? Google has already started addressing these issues. No, not the Waze not working. and No, no, not the soft bricking. No, Google released a calendar app for Android Auto, and golly gee, I know I feel better now. Did you even try this in a car, Google? And as you know, as much as I love and rely on Google for basically everything, it just goes to show you how much of a mess that company kind of is. There's too many fingers and too many pies, and not only does the left hand not know what the right hand is doing, but Google has about 16 different left hands, and they're all trying to tie a different shoe. That's right, folks. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Come for the music, stay for the analogies. I've referenced the Microsoft-Walmart conglomeration at least twice in the last few weeks as the most likely suitor to pick up TikTok ahead of Trump's ban on the video service that really doesn't like him. Well, it turns out I was pretty darn wrong because Oracle... Really? Oracle emerged as the winner in the bidding. Though, not really, because according to MarketWatch, Oracle will be a, quote, trusted tech partner, I'm using air quotes here, handling TikTok's U.S. business with ByteDance not actually selling the service. Oracle is basically taking over, like, glorified hosting for U.S.-based videos, which... I guess is nice, and Secretary Munchkin, which isn't his name, but I really don't care. Anyway, Secretary Munchkin likes the deal, and he'll pass it along over to Big Orange for approval. The Verge, in the meantime, argues that this really doesn't do anything to solve any security problems. TikTok is still going to be cashing in on all of this. There won't be any extra security around American data, except that Oracle will be babysitting it, I guess. But hey, I guess it makes Trump look good because he stopped the big scary teenagers from making fun of him. I mean, he stopped the Chinese company from cashing in on American interests. And the teenagers are still totally going to make fun of him, but at least he made a Chinese company pay an American company a ton of money to let them do that. So I that's a win, I guess. Yay, USA, US, eh, whatever. OnePlus ran into a bit of a problem this week when it tried to ship 2,000 sets of its OnePlus Buds, and they got seized by the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. Why? Well, you know what? I'll let the Customs and Border Patrol tell you in their tweet that still has not been taken down. It says, quote, That's not an apple. CBP officers at JFK recently seized 2,000 counterfeit Apple AirPods from Hong Kong valued at $398,000 had they been genuine. The CBP included photos of the AirPods in question, which showed OnePlus boxes and OnePlus branding. Now, it can be hard to tell true wireless earbuds from AirPods, especially when those earbuds adopt the same stupid design as the original stupid AirPods. Yes, manufacturers should be a little more original in their designs. No question there. But OnePlus Buds are a legitimate product, so CBP must have readily admitted their mistake and moved on, right? 
Nope! The CBP doubled down on their actions, saying, and I'm quoting The Verge here, Upon examining the shipment in question, a CBP import specialist determined that the subject earbuds appeared to violate Apple's configuration trademark. Apple has configuration trademarks on their brand of earbuds and has recorded those trademarks with the CBP. Based on that determination, CBP officers at JFK have seized the shipment under 19 U.S.C. 1526E, whatever the heck that means. The Verge goes on to explain that configuration trademark is based on basically how a product looks. And yes, these ridiculous things do look a lot like AirPods, even though AirPods look really stupid and OnePlus just copied that. So to quote Star Wars, who's more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? Anyway, OnePlus is now going to have to waste a lot of time and resources adjudicating with the CBP to convince them that they're idiots and doubling down on idiocy is idiotic. Good luck with that, OnePlus. LG unveiled its oft-rumored LG Wing earlier in the morning on Monday, and boy did LG make a splash. The demos were filled with tech, gaming, and lifestyle YouTubers all pitching in to read, I mean, say, definitely not scripted remarks about how LG is going to be an amazing addition to their workflow. Uh Uh-huh. But the LG Wing is certainly a head-turner in addition to being a screen-turner. The top screen rotates 90 degrees to become a landscape screen with a not-quite-square screen underneath. This has a number of dual-screen uses with compatible apps, of course. One of the most interesting, though, was by far the gimbal camera lens on the phone, complete with a gimbal grip and joystick in the smaller second screen, allowing you to do tilt pans and more. It was a remarkable surprise that I don't think anyone saw coming. So, Weird LG is back, so declares the special guest today in a feature on Engadget. Chris Velasco had the opportunity to sit down with LG and talk about the LG Wing and other Explorer projects coming up. The Wing's price is not set, though it looks to be around $1,000. But what's more, LG is playing with some really neat designs in future Explorer projects, and that's going to be fun to see. Will we get a Wing in our labs for testing? That remains to be seen, but as soon as I know, you'll know, or, you know, the following Sunday, whatever. And after the LG Wing was announced and the YouTubers had all gone back to their iPhones, LG had one last trick up its sleeve. It was almost MCU-like, as after the credits rolled, an animation appeared and appeared to extend out, almost like an expanding smartphone screen, and... Holy crap, I got excited about this, because we've seen this once before. Back in January, TCL invited a few reviewers to take a look at some folding phone designs, and one of them was a non-working prototype of this exact concept. At the time, the working prototype was slightly inaccessible since it was in Wuhan, China. Bad timing, but it looks like LG might be working on the concept as well. And you may recall back in 2019, LG introduced a rolling TV screen that rose up out of a box, so this idea is not new to these folks. Making it phone-sized is new, so we'll have to wait with bated breath, but damn, LG is exciting these days, and I'm excited to be a part of it. 
Apple had an event on Tuesday in which it unveiled a few different devices. The first was the Apple Watch Series 6, which gets a new powerful processor, altimeter, and blood oxygen sensor. There's also a few new colorways, including Product Red and Blow Your Load Blue. No, that isn't the official name. I'm just gathering that off of all the erections appearing on Twitter when the blue was unveiled. I mean... Come on, it's not like it was Mystic Bronze. Anyway, Apple also revealed its new affordable... (laughs) I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Apple unveiled its new affordable... (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm really, really sorry. It's it's all new... It's all new affordable Apple Watch. The Apple Watch SE coming in at just a measly little $279. Affordable. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Apple also refreshed the 10.2-inch iPad, now 8th generation, to which my son asked, Does that mean I don't have the newest iPad anymore? Yes, son. That's what it means. Get used to disappointment. The new iPad is priced the same as the old one at $329, which is nice. Then came the new iPads Air, which are basically like iPads Pro Mini? They've got updated internals, basically the equivalent of iPads Pro, but one neat thing that Apple brought to the iPad Air, they put the fingerprint sensor in the power button, which sure, it's not the first time it's happened, but still. They also gave it USB Type-C, so the days of a lightning connector are nearing their end. Here's hoping they bring USB Type-C and fingerprint sensor power buttons to the new iPhones. Apple also announced that starting with the Apple Watch, they wouldn't be shipping power bricks anymore, and probably not for any more devices anymore ever. And they did it amidst a report from Apple's VP of not being a dick to the environment, or whatever her title was. This is a very environmentally friendly move, but it's also a pretty user-hostile move, too. Whatever, it's a bunch of tree-hugging hippie crap, so make sure you check out our Tech Yeah segment in this episode, and the latest in GAN chargers, since... You know, now that Apple isn't sending out chargers anymore, neither will anyone else. Sony had two big announcements this week. The first one was Sony's PlayStation 5 console coming this November. There will be two, like Microsoft. There's a Blu-ray equipped version and a digital only version. The main difference between Microsoft's and Sony's offerings seems to be... Again, I'm not a gamer. That Sony's offerings, which will come in at $399 and $499 respectively, will have basically the same specifications between them, but one of them won't have an optical drive. On Microsoft's end, the digital-only Xbox will have less power and hence an even lower price tag. I can respect that. Pre-orders went up this week, and by all reports, they were really hard to get. So I guess if you're wondering who's winning the Microsoft-Sony war, it's pretty much Sony. Sony also debuted new trailers for Miles Morales and a new Harry Potter game, which were also pretty awesome. Overall, it looks like Sony had a good showing in the gaming department and in a different department, which leads us to our next story. This week also saw the announcement of the Sony Xperia 5 Mark II, which is a wowza piece of hardware. The Xperia 1 Mark II came out earlier this summer, and this phone is a smaller but just as powerful piece of kit for a slightly lower price, 
and it is a powerhouse. It's got a 120 hertz screen, dedicated shutter and Google Assistant buttons because, you know, we just need more buttons on our phones, right? Snapdragon 865, and we'll touch upon the weird part of that in a second. It's got a triple camera setup on the back, regular, ultra-wide, and telephoto, all 12 megapixels. The cameras can shoot 10-bit 4K at up to 120 frames per second slow-mo, which is damn impressive. It's got a 4,000 milliamp hour battery, and it's also built for gaming, which is interesting and was definitely not a focus for the Xperia 1. All this is coming for $949, with pre-orders going up on September 29th. Again, affordable. But in this case, I think the Xperia Mark V may actually earn the money because this is a baller package for under $1,000. And the pro camera mode is amazing by all reports. Plus, if you pre-order the phone by November 29th, Sony will kick in a gaming bundle worth over $400, including a gaming headset, a 10,000 milliamp hour power bank, and 21,600 Call of Duty mobile points. Just think of all those battle passes. Now, the one caveat is, despite the Snapdragon 865 processor, there will be no 5G compatibility in the U.S., which is just weird. I've reached out to Sony with a couple of questions about that, the biggest question being why, but I haven't heard back yet, so I will be sure to report back to you once I know. And as for a review, I'm hoping to get my hands on it, and if I do, you will know, but considering how hard I asked the why question for 5G... Yeah, we'll see. But none of those announcements this week mean anything because the biggest announcement of the week, and maybe even the biggest announcement of the year, came from Facebook Connect with a $300 Oculus Quest 2 coming this fall. Of course, I'm saying all of that with a just a tip of tongue-in-cheek, but really, this is a freaking huge. I already called the Oculus Quest at $400, one of the best deals in technology, and Facebook just knocked $100 off of that, which is insane. Now, the Quest had a really great look and feel all around, and the Oculus Quest 2... Well, it doesn't. Some of the materials it's made of are cheaper. There are some downgrades like individual optical slide adjustment, and the Oculus Quest 2 uses LCD screens instead of OLED, but those screens are 90 hertz, which is awesome. And according to most reviews, you don't notice any kind of downgrade. In fact, quite the opposite. It's mainly fit and finish stuff that's downgraded, like head straps and the face mask. Those are important, but there's also a not three-year-old SOC in there now, which is baller. As I talked to Russell Halley about, accessibility is one of the biggest challenges facing VR headsets right now, and at $300, it really doesn't get more accessible. Anything cheaper, and you're just going to degrade the experience way too much. I don't have one, but based on what I've read, first of all, I kind of want one, even though I already have an OG Quest. But second of all, it sounds like Facebook made all the right moves in bringing the cost down without cheapening the experience overly much. Facebook is going to drag VR into the mainstream, kicking and screaming if it has to. There is simply no other VR game in town. In addition to the Quest, Facebook also had some other things to say. Namely, the Oculus Rift S is going to be retired with Oculus Link coming out of beta this fall to take up the slack. Link allows a user to plug an Oculus Quest or an Oculus Quest 2 into a computer to basically turn it into a Rift. But Facebook isn't done with your face yet either because it also announced a partnership with Ray-Ban to develop smart glasses. These are not going to be AR glasses, and of 
that's the case, then what's the damn point? Not sure what this one's going to be exactly, but Facebook also does have an AR project called Aria, which is quite original, that they talked about at Facebook Connect as well. Meanwhile, tying into that announcement we got from Facebook, we got more tightly integrating Facebook features into the Oculus Quest. It'll soon start integrating Facebook Messenger, fitness tracking, and an infinite office into the Oculus Quest. Facebook Messenger is fairly obvious, but, you know, yuck. Fitness tracking could keep track of physical activity from apps like Beat Saber and Supernatural. Spoiler alert, it's a lot of physical activity. Infinite Office is basically kind of like what Russell Holly was talking about in our VR episode, using your VR headset to have multiple monitors and such. It could be cool, but if you want to have an Oculus strapped to your face for an entire workday, no thank you. And that'll do it for announcements of the weekend. Good lord, there were a lot of them, but it's still not the biggest news of the week. That's coming right up next. And finally... It's appropriate to say and finally to this story, by the way. Joseph Malozzi is a great follow on Twitter for fans of the show Stargate. He was an executive producer and writer on all three series for years and years, and he is not shy about sharing details about any new potential Stargate project. Well, this week he dropped a comment saying that Chevron 5 was locked in getting a new Stargate series off the ground. And in Stargate parlance, that's five-sevenths of the way to a new series. And that would be gobsmackingly awesome. And would just honestly make my entire year, regardless of the year and regardless of anything else that happened that year, even a Cubs winning the World Series would be a very close second. So yeah, I'm pretty serious about this. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with me, like at all, I'm a Stargate fanatic and I absolutely love the series more than Star Trek more than Star Wars, more than pretty much any other show. So this is amazingly awesome news. And it's also not the first time we've heard such things, so I'm cautiously optimistic. But here's hoping I can announce something very exciting very soon. This week's Tech Yeah segment is a set of devices coming from our friends at Mophie. Now, this is a little different because unlike every other Tech Yeah segment, I actually don't have these devices in hand, nor will I be getting them, and there's one very important reason why, and that'll become clear in a bit. So right off the bat, I want you to be aware that this isn't really a recommendation so much as it's a notification that these devices exist, and should you fall into that niche where they belong, you should check them out. It's a trio of devices that are designed to charge your iDevices, and ah, now we get it. This week we saw the release of a new Apple Watch, which looks really nice, but in order to use an Apple Watch, you need an iPhone, and in my case, just no. But I'm not everyone, and there are a lot of folks out there who might want to pick these up, which is why I bring it to you. Everyone else can skip forward 30 seconds a couple of times, I'll understand. As you may recall, I mentioned that Apple will no longer be selling charging bricks with their devices, which makes it even more important to pick up a solution that will work for all of your devices, and Mophie has some suggestions for you. 
The first two devices are charging stands for your iPhone and Apple Watch. One charging stand adds a charging plate for your AirPods as well. And what's cool about all these is they all use Qi wireless charging to top off your devices. Plus, each charging stand clips on and off for easy transport, so it's not like you have to figure out a way to make the stands with these pillars fit into your suitcase if you're going on the road. It's a nice extra touch. Each stand has specially molded fittings for your watch and AirPods, so when you snap them in, they're in and charging the first time every time. And you can pick up whichever one fits your needs. If you have AirPods, get the 3-in-1. If not, get the 2-in-1. I like that versatility. The third item is the Mophie Power Station All-in-One, which is an 8,000 mAh battery pack with watch charging surface, a normal Qi charging surface, a USB Type-A port, and a USB Type-C power delivery port. So that means you can conceivably charge up to four devices at once. And what I really like about this battery pack is the Apple Watch receptacle on it. I haven't seen that before, and to be fair, I've never had an Apple Watch, so I never really looked for it. But knowing that I could snap the watch in there and be sure that it charges, that's pretty solid. Mophie is one of the higher-end lifestyle accessory makers, so it shouldn't surprise you to see that pricing is on the higher end. The Power Station All-in-One retails for $139.95, while the 3-in-1 and 2-in-1 charging stands are $139.95 and $99.95 respectively. So yeah, that's on the high side for sure, but especially where charging stands are concerned, that's a one-time purchase that'll likely work on any Apple devices you have going forward. Since Apple won't help you charge your devices anymore, someone's gotta. Anyway, you can check out BenefitOfADoubt.com to get all the details and links to pick up the power stations, and as always, if you do, you'll be helping out the show, and you'll have my thanks. Again, it's worth repeating, I have never tested these devices, but I have worked with Mophie before, and they make good stuff. But these particular items have not been tested by me. It's just an FYI that they exist, and maybe they'll help you out. Our next guest on the podcast is an esteemed colleague, veteran of pen and camera. He's a Rutgers alum, which, let's be honest, just sounds impressive as hell, which is why I bring it up. He's been at Engadget for seven years, six as a senior mobile editor, which is why he gets to play with the cool toys. He may want you to call him Pizza Daddy, but we're just going to call him Chris. Chris Velasco, welcome to the podcast. Adam Dowd, it's really great to hear from you, and also thank you for maybe... And I've done this for a while, but maybe the best intro of me I've ever heard. Well, you know, I try and and I figure, you know, I, you're you're giving you us your valuable time by appearing on the show. So the least I can do is, you know, make you feel as welcome as possible. So but I appreciate the compliment. Well, no, I appreciate that, too. But as far as I'm concerned, we're just two old buds hanging out talking about the Z Fold 2, among other things, I'm sure. That's right, Pizza Daddy. So let's uh, dive into excuse this. Excuse me, excuse me, Adam, Adam. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. It's 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 Daddy Pizza. It's Daddy Pizza? Yep. <laughs> no, it's not Daddy Really? It is Daddy Pizza. That is Daddy Pizza. Why did I say Pizza Daddy? Man, that's uh, crazy. Pizza Why Daddy has a that? nicer ring to it. It sounds a bit more respectable than Well, sure. Daddy Pizza? No, I I mean honestly, I'm I'm kind of team hashtag Daddy Pizza, so let's do this, Daddy Pizza. Okay. So, <laughs> well, I guess I get a B plus on my research. So let's go ahead and dive into something that we do know about, and that is the Samsung Galaxy Fold 
2, which is an amazing phone, an amazingly expensive phone, but it's one that you had a chance to play with and review. So that's why I wanted to bring you onto my little show and let's uh, let's let's have a chat about this amazing device. So um, I, what I want to do is I want to kind of start off things with like your overall just impressions of the device itself. Just like you give us like the high level view of like what this phone is. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you really want to boil it down, the Galaxy Z Fold 2, I swear to God, I've been talking about this phone since the day it was announced. And I still screw up the name because there's an extra letter and a number in it that just shouldn't happen in a phone. But the Galaxy Z Fold 2 is a foldable, so essentially a combination smartphone tablet that I've been using for about two weeks. And here's here's how I would put it to anyone kind of thinking about whether or not to buy one of these things. Okay. Samsung got the hardware right, which is saying something because of just how finicky and fragile and in some cases downright bad the original hardware was. Right. Samsung fixed basically all of it. And to them, I offer nothing but credit on that front. The thing that's really stuck with me and a thing that's kind of proven to be a source of consternation for some of our viewers and, and readers is that I don't think the software is quite there. And that's partially because Samsung's own first-party apps do a sort of hit-or-miss job adapting to the display, which, mm. I mean, I guess is fine. It's a work in progress. But I think the yeah. bigger issue is that the app ecosystem at large is uniquely unsuited to build stuff for devices like this right now. Because if you think about it, when the Galaxy Z Fold 2 is open, it's basically a small tablet. And if you've used an Android tablet in the past, you would probably, I would think, agree with me that the quality of a lot of Android apps for tablets is just not tremendous. So when you have a device that tries to jump between that tablet sort of modality and a smartphone and expect it to do well at both, uh, the experience can be really inconsistent. I'm actually in the middle of a tablet, uh, an Android tablet review as we speak. So um, which, which one is that, by the way? It's a Lenovo Smart Tab M10. FHD Plus with Alexa oh, built yeah. in. And it's kind of nice. Cancel Alexa. It's got it's kind of <laughs> nice cuz it, it's 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 one of those uh, Android tablets but you set it down on the base and it becomes a smart screen which is kind of cool. Um Yeah, that's I've always wanted that for Google Assistant, but I've never no one really does that. No one has like an accessory to turn it into Lenovo like a does. Smart display. <laughs> well, yeah, Actually, there you go. Lenovo has the the next device I'm going to be doing, the Lenovo Smart Tab M10 Plus, Full HD Plus with Google Assistant. And stay tuned is, for Adam's full review. Yep, then stay tuned. That that's going to be coming in probably a few weeks. But anyway, so yeah, that was a major digression. <laughs> so, well, but let's 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 before we fully recover from this digression, you yeah. as a person who has used an Android tablet very recently. What what is your impression of sort of the general state of the union for Android tablet apps? It's it's okay. Actually, Lenovo specifically does a really, really smart kind of like a and, and it's very Dex like actually where they have a, a version of the nav bar where you can actually have icons going across the bottom of the screen like a dock. Like, you know, with like with Windows or with Mac, like when you have an app open, you get the icon down at the bottom. Lenovo actually has a nav bar that does that. So it's like makes switching in between um, apps pretty awesome, and I've never seen that before. And I want every tablet to do that from now on. Um, so, so that's pretty cool. But like in general, yeah, you're right. With like in general, when it comes to like apps and using that real estate effectively, it's not awesome. 
It's thank you. I, I really wanted to kind of get your take on this because yeah. you know I I at Engadget I'm a senior mobile editor so I I do a lot of Android stuff but I also do a lot of Apple stuff and people tend to just assume that I'm like an Apple shill which is not not true. Like I I like and enjoy iPhones but I also like I bought a Z Fold too. So like I definitely have to have one foot in both of those buckets. But I, I'm how much does Samsung you... pay you to say that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> God, don't you start. I get it from everybody <laughs> enough as it is. Um, but no, I'm glad to hear you say that because, I mean, in my experience, and this is, again, maybe not necessarily what everyone has run into, but yeah, like I agree. You're, you're not generally seeing apps that really make full use of that that real estate. And that's really what you're paying for. And that's that always makes those devices feel a little bit disappointing for me. And that's what kind of makes the Fold 2 disappointing in some very specific ways. Like mm, okay. I, I was testing AccuWeather. So just a very common weather app. Uh, they've actually done a lot of really interesting work on their software ever since Dark Sky was acquired by Apple and no longer functions on Android. So it's a great app. And when you open it up uh, on the Z Fold 2, when you uh, use it as a small tablet, basically, it sort of appears correctly. And then it automatically turns, the screen orientation turns 90 degrees. So if you're holding the phone upright, you have no choice but to turn it 90 degrees and hold it that way like the app does not notice it cannot tell that the tablet is being held normally so which is kind of weird because i actually i i, I went ahead and opened up accuweather while you were talking about this and yeah it's kind of stuck in landscape um which typically is not what you get with an android tablet typically you'll get apps that are stuck in portrait because they're kind of designed for phones and then just scaled up exactly but in this particular case it's actually stuck in landscape and yeah, no, it doesn't really matter how I how I turn this. It's I, I see what you're where you're going with that, which is really even more awkward on a Galaxy Fold because now you're kind of forced to turn it and hold it by like the one screen with the with the other half of the phone like kind of not supported by a hand. Exactly. Yeah, and okay. and that's the thing. Like this is this is definitely not the only sort of oversight that I've run into. So. Uh, Instagram, I mean, Instagram is just always bad. <laughs> at every, at every Instagram display. is so, Instagram, and Facebook so, hates Android tablets. Yes, we know exactly. that. Exactly. So maybe we just don't even talk about it anymore. Like, there's, there's, I have very little hope that they want to get better at this. So, yeah. like, fine, we'll take that off the table. Yeah. Lightroom, you know, owned by Adobe, a huge company, obviously, that has a pretty decent history of, like, solid mobile apps. Lightroom just, like, runs in a small sort of smartphone-sized window when you open the fold. Uh, HBO Max, which I've been getting a lot of enjoyment out of because I have I'm an AT&T mobile subscriber, and as part of their unlimited plan, you get HBO Max for free, which is just a nice little perk for spending yeah. I don't know like yeah. ninety bucks a month for unlimited data. But you, <laughs> at least when I was working on the review, HBO Max was not available for the Z Fold Two at all. Like oh, it, it weird. would. It was – you could download it on every other device that I had, but it was specifically marked that you could not install it on the Z Fold 2, which is maybe not a huge surprise because I know HBO had some trouble with the Galaxy Fold earlier on. But uh, that seemed like a pretty interesting oversight, and I hated it. So Android is very finicky. <laughs> so it, Yes, it really is. And that's, and that's really the crux of my issue with the Z Fold 2. Again, like this is a phenomenal phone. Like no, no shade at Samsung. Like – They've really done, I, I think, the best that they could 
definitely in the hardware and to some extent with the software mm -hmm. to make this thing feel like it's worth $2,000. But if you buy this phone for $2,000, you do also have to be ready to live with the fact that some of the apps that you might rely on fairly regularly just don't work the way they're supposed to. Right, or the way, yeah, they intuitively should. And, you know, I want to kind of um, circle back to the hardware a little bit because really, really when you think about it, the Samsung Fold 1 really probably should have been called like the Sam Samsung Fold 0.5. And maybe this being one... generous, yeah. Maybe this one should be called like Galaxy the first Fold generation. Explorer edition. Like th this is the product version. This is the product release version where the other one was more of a beta. And you're, you're right when you say, you know, that Samsung addressed basically every concern that reviewers had in terms of the hardware. I want to talk about that that cover screen, though, a little bit, which is the, the screen that you get before you open the phone. Samsung has nuked all the bezels, not all the bezels, but like most of the bezels. Basically and, all the bezels, yeah. And, and so now you have that full face. How is it using that compared to like... Um, a, compared to the original version of the Fold, and B, compared to, like, a normal smartphone. Like, we'll use a... We'll just say the Samsung Galaxy Ultra because that's the other... That would sure. be the, the fair equivalent. Yeah, no, I got to tell you, I, I was really surprised during my review process at the number of times I just didn't have to open the Fold. As, as you point out, I mean, Samsung went with, I believe it was something like a 4.6-inch AMOLED display on the original Galaxy Fold, which was fine in that you could use it to technically do smartphone things, but those things would never really, you could never really do those things particularly pleasantly. And in my experience, it really seemed like it was just meant for really brief interactions, right? Mm. Like you, you check up on a group chat thread or you see if your Uber is close by, like those kind of fleeting moments where you need information and then you don't need information pretty soon after that. That's kind of what that was great for. But gotcha. with the 6.2-inch cover screen on the Galaxy Z Fold 2, I mean, Samsung, it's it's like a proper phone now. Granted, it's a, a little oddly proportioned. Its aspect ratio means it's a lot taller than it is wide. So it honestly, like the phone feels like a fat remote control when you're holding it. But I, okay. I don't mind that. And I was, again, really just surprised by how usable this thing was. Like I had spent a decent amount of time reading articles on it, catching up on, again, messaging threads. Like it lends itself very well to text. You can watch YouTube on it and just generally not hate your life, which is something you could definitely not say about the original Galaxy Fold. I, I do think that Samsung would have been a lot better off here had they made the whole thing just a little bit wider. So proportionally, that screen felt more like, as you say, something like the Galaxy S20 Ultra. And that would also have the added benefit of making the sort of unfolded device feel more like a proper modern widescreen tablet. But, I mean, I assume the costs at play were... were considerable enough that that was not going to happen this year. I, I fully expect Samsung to make something that looks a bit more like a regular smartphone when it's closed and then unfolds into a full-on, like, 16 by 9, 16 by 10 tablet when it's open. So moving on into the inside of the phone, and I want to I want to get like um, I want to get somebody who's used this like on the regular. I want to get kind of a sense as to like what this inner screen is for, because a lot like I've seen a few reviews that have said that the the Galaxy Z Fold 2, which actually I think I've said that name wrong about five or six times at this point. So, <laughs> but anyway, the, I've seen a lot of reviewers say that the inside screen of the of the Z Fold 2 is 
designed for deliberate actions. Like when you open up this screen, this is when you are committing yourself. I am about to do things on my phone. And like when you close it, that means that you can walk away and like I am done doing things on my phone. So is that is that was this, was that the sense that you got? It's really interesting you brought that up because that's not kind of how I looked at this phone at all. And that's partially because of a feature that Samsung has here called App Continuity, which basically just ensures that if you're doing something on the cover screen and you open the phone, that task persists on the big screen. And there's reverse App Continuity too, which you have to kind of set up manually that does the reverse. So if you close the phone while you're doing something, that app persists on the cover screen. And because of that, because of the general kind of flow of information from one display to the other. I never really felt like I was using the inner screen for like very specific big screen purposes. Like I, I honestly spend a lot of time, you know, reading on this thing. Um, and you know, when you're, when you have the time or the inclination or the space and you open it up, yeah, it's more like reading on a proper e-reader, a Kindle or something, which mm-hmm. I find very pleasurable, but For me, the beauty of it was always, you know, if I'm standing in line or like if I want to brave the subway that day or something, I can read it. I can read a book while the fold is open. And if someone gets too close or if I have to sort of scooch over in my seat, I can close the phone and continue reading just in a way that kind of fits the moment a little better. Mm, So I don't know that I'm. I don't know that I necessarily used the big screen for specific things. I, I feel like I used both screens for all things, just certain situations made better use of the screen than others. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so it's a phone for the moment then. Samsung, that's you can really use that. That's a really good way of putting it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, let's, uh, let's get Adam that check, shall we? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, didn't, I never said it would be free. I just said they could use it. So, uh, so... Let's let's talk about let's stay on on the inner screen. Let's talk about the the fragility of the inside screen. Are you getting that now that we have that ultra thin glass that uh, Samsung is is so proud of? So theoretically, no. And and so this this we're getting to the point where we have to discuss kind of the the mechanics of like the review process a little bit. So some yeah. outlets. Uh, you know, us included in this case, got a Samsung Galaxy Z Fold directly from Samsung. We got a two-week loan out of it. You have to agree to certain stipulations, which included, among other things, like, don't, you can't drop this thing on purpose. Like, you cannot try and break this phone, which obviously is the kind of stipulation that does not apply if you buy the phone and fully, like, jerry-rig everything, this thing, right? Right, right. so, So in my testing of the phone, I was not, I was specifically not allowed to just, like, try and break it. But with all of that in mind, I never really felt like the screen itself was fragile, which is saying something because Mm -hmm. you kind of couldn't escape that impression from the original. The ultra thin glass, as you say, is definitely in place. And I think that's a very interesting topic just generally because yes, it's there. Yes, it does give the screen an added sort of hardness that not only kind of fortifies the design, but also makes it feel a bit more like a smartphone. The the thing that I find so interesting about it is that, and I just shout out to Jerry Rig everything again, mm-hmm. when he did his teardown of the Galaxy Z Flip, I believe it was, and he pulled back the layers and, and showed us what the glass actually was, like it was a, an incredibly thin layer of glass. I think by Samsung's own admission, the thickness of that layer of, quote, ultra thin glass, unquote, is, is still thinner than like the, the width of a human hair. So, right. 
That said, it does seem to hold up a little better to the little nicks and stuff that tended to appear in our original Galaxy Fold review units. Okay. Uh, but at, at this point, I don't think anyone's in a position to offer substantive long-term reassurances over how well this thing is going to hold up. Fair enough. Now, did I uh, did I understand correctly? You you purchased a uh, Samsung Galaxy Z Fold two for your own personal use. Is that right? So yes, I did actually order my own Z Fold two, and that's that's partially because I do believe in what Samsung has done here. I do believe in the form factor. I believe in the level of polish, such as it is, that's on display here. But maybe more than anything, I just I feel like for someone like me who, you know, has to really know this stuff inside and out and. So what so what was it about this particular phone that made you go ahead and, you know, order it and put your own personal money where your own personal mouth was? Well, I think you said it best earlier when you alluded to the fact that the original Galaxy Fold very much felt like a beta and this this time around a year later, you know, after quite considerable public failings and sort of owning up to the shortcomings of the design and engineering process. Like Samsung, Samsung ate a lot of shit in public and deservedly so for releasing that phone in that state. And they took their licks and they went back to the drawing board and they fixed it. And this is the result, a phone that is completely usable. It's not perfect by any stretch, Mm -hmm. but it is the first one that I think stands a chance of mattering to people in a way that others, just like the original Fold, just simply could not because mm. of inherent trust issues. And I feel like it's my responsibility not only to support that, but also to just share with people the experience of living with it. Because as I mentioned earlier in our chat, you know, the ecosystem around the Galaxy Fold and other foldables too is what eventually has to change. And until there's pressure on developers to actually do that from people who have lived with the phone and use the phone and live and die by the phone, you know, that's that's just kind of the best way to approach it in my mind anyway. Absolutely respect that. Okay. So let's talk about some of those imperfections. When you said this is not a perfect device, what what are some of the what are what are some of the shortcomings that you see here? I look, I, there are, there are some things that I would have done differently if I were sure. Samsung. I probably would have I mean this is already like a niche expensive phone. I probably would have told people to bite the bullet and just like pay more and get 16 gigs of RAM instead of 12. 12 has been more or less sufficient so far, but there are the occasional hiccups that kind of drag the experience down. Nothing really? major, but they're okay. noticeable. And beyond that, some of Samsung's approaches to these like very fold specific features just, I mean, to me at least, are not terribly well explained. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a person who has to deal with this stuff more or less every day. And so we, when we got our Fold 2, we did a sort of live unboxing. And we, we turned it on, we fired it up, we you know, signed into all the accounts and started playing with everything. And uh, I, it, it had been a while since I had used a Galaxy Fold, so I forgot how to do the multi-active window, that, that split-screen multitasking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it took, like, a lot of people in chat yelling at me before I figured out, oh, wait, you're supposed to swipe it and then move one icon here and then move the other, and then you can then tap one. But then you can also add up to five other apps in floating windows, and here's how you do that. <laughs> and there are these finicky little controls that control this but not that. And... I, I looked and felt like an idiot, and deservedly so. I, <laughs> I did not know what I was doing going into that unboxing. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. So speaking from a uh, like just a general day to day type of experience with the phone, like how how is the phone? Do you see this becoming your daily driver for an extended period of time? Not just because of the curiosity of, you know, knowing how to use a foldable because of, you know, who you are, but like just in general, because Chris Velasco needs a foldable phone. Do you see this becoming a daily driver? Well, I think you're you're introducing kind of an interesting uh, sort of slant to this because I don't I don't think anyone needs a foldable phone right now. At least least of all me, right? Okay. Like, I it's it's very interesting because you know my lifestyle has changed dramatically as a result of COVID, and and part of those changes is the fact that since I spend all of my time at home, I am never more than I don't know. 10 steps away from a TV or my work laptop or Fair my point. computer. <laughs> so like the need for a big screen that I that I could justify out in the real world just kind of isn't there for me. I remember when I reviewed the original Galaxy Fold, the timing worked out really well because I, I sort of like moonlighted as one of Engadget's car writers since I'm like the only one in our New York office with a driver's license. So I was running around. Yeah, crazy, right? So I no, was running around New York. New York. It's not crazy at all. <laughs> But, you know, I was, I was running around the New York Auto Show and I had, you know, my, my calendar and one small app window and a, like a Google Doc full of appointments in the next and, a, you know, a Chrome browser tab with like a map of Javits Center because I don't spend much time. It's like a huge event space if you're, if you're not familiar. And, you know, that really honestly did help me get through the day. And that's just not a thing I have to do anymore. All right. I can respect that. So let me ask you this. When have you come across any use cases either through yourself or through your interaction with your other colleagues that have these devices? What's the what's the weirdest use case that you've come up with with for a Galaxy Fold that, you know, maybe Samsung didn't even intend it. You know, I, I so I worked I worked support for a software developer for four years and I was never, I never ceased to be surprised by the types of uses that people would come up with our software that we never even thought of. So I'm just kind of curious, since this is kind of a new, a new a category of, of device, I'm just kind of curious, what interesting use cases have you come up with that maybe Samsung didn't even think about? When we were doing our like live unboxings and stuff, like, we were soliciting people, you know, hey, what, uh, you know, what combinations of apps would you like to run on this thing all at the same time? What would really yeah. benefit you? Yeah. And some people were like, well, you know, hey, I'd love to have Excel working in, in one app window and the calculator another in Chrome in a third to just like make sure I'm, I'm like doing things correctly. Um, the one that I was personally really hoping to try out is I'm a big New York Times crossword puzzle person. Okay. And the so- later... So New York yeah. Times in one window and and Google on the other window. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, no, that's exactly right. <laughs> Cheater. Here's the thing. No, I'm just kidding. Well, look, look. Here's here's my. Let me just say my piece about this dang old crossword puzzle. They so they go from easy to difficult. Monday is the easiest. Saturday is the most difficult. Sunday is just like a big one. Mm-hmm. And after a while, it just gets to the point where unless you know like very specific references to like bands or historical figures or like like characters in poetry or whatever, like you're just not going to finish it. So that's, that's absolutely, that <laughs> crossed my mind for sure. I needed to cheat on like a Saturday. Absolutely. Just to, just to get through the thing. Okay. Um, so, well. so, so you've, you've got tablets, you're working through some tablets right now. Mm-hmm. Like, 
the the allure of the Galaxy Z Fold 2 at its most basic is that it is a device that is both phone and tablet. So do you does this does this phone do anything for you? Like do you want one? I'm I'm I think I'm far too practical a person to say yes, I definitely want to adopt this mm-hmm. into my life. And that's because I know how I treat phones and I'm 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 frank, frankly nervous about the durability. So and you know, especially when it comes to, you know, Getting stuck out in the rain. I'm a geocacher, so like getting stuck out in the rain. Oh man, nice. Yes, it's kind of like a thing for me. So, or finding myself in dirty environments. Yeah, that's that's going to be kind of a problem. I think if I were to be carrying around a fold, would I love to have a fold to see like a much bigger version of a Google Map while I'm trying to you know navigate somewhere or you know what have you? Absolutely, but. So, like, from a from a kind of like a lizard brain standpoint, yes, I love the idea of having a tablet when you need it. But from a uh, an in- intellectual standpoint, I'm nervous about the compromises that are necessary to make that available on demand. You really you've hit on a really great point there, and I, I wish I had brought it up myself, honestly. But <laughs> like, that's the thing about the fold too. Like, and and. I would say with most foldables, but sort of – so, like, there are, broadly speaking, two classes of foldables. There are small tablets that fold into phones, like the mm-hmm. Huawei Mate X, the XS, and then this, the Galaxy Fold 2. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, smartphones that just fold in half, and you put them away, and that's it. And those require, like, no work. That's that's more or less fine. But when you're using a big phone like the Galaxy Z Fold 2 with its kind of inherent – fragility issues, right? Like you do kind of have to actively rethink the way you approach a lot of the things you do in your life. You can't Mm -hmm. take this phone to the beach. Like Samsung has said multiple times, specifically, don't go to the beach with this phone. Like you can't go to as you say. (laughs) Like they've they've told me that specifically. Like no beach, sand and water are the two worst things that could happen in this device. So please do not like you do have to you do have to find ways for this thing to fit into your life. And just like the mental calculus of justifying that, mm-hmm. it's it's easier for some people than it is for others. But for anyone, anyone who is, is practically minded in any way, like the, the numbers, the calculus just doesn't work out. Right, right. And exactly. That's exactly that's exactly it. And, you know, I've seen the videos from like Snazzy Q who like takes his Galaxy Z Flip and like bangs it up against his steering wheel and throws it on the floor of the car. Like... I, I see that, and I'm like, okay, well, you're lucky, um, but but you know, I just can't I can't put those I can't put a plus b together in that in that particular fashion in my brain. So yeah, and just like I mean, and if we take a step back and just like consider like the privilege, right? Like I, I mentioned this, I, I think, in the body of our review, if not the intro of our review video itself, but like. Like, this is a $2,000 phone coming out at a time when the world is being racked by a pandemic. Oh, yeah. Millions of Americans remain out of work. Companies are actively choosing to release and invest more in sort of mid-range and lower-cost devices because, you know, we're not as able to to spend and just, like, live our lives as freely as we used to. So in some ways, the Z Fold 2 is an, an abjectly ridiculous device. <laughs> that doesn't mean it's not important. Right. But just, like... It, to whatever extent that you want to separate the optics from from the reality of what this phone is and the fact that this was in the works way before and Samsung could never have known about this. Oh, right. It's, 
it's it's a bad look. Like yeah. Samsung is going to get dinged for that. Whether or not you believe that's right is up to you, but it's it's happening regardless. Well, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to go ahead and finish this up. And um, at that po- at this point, actually, it's it's my time to go ahead and roll out the red carpet for you and let you tell my listeners like where we can hear from you, where we can find you on the internet if we are so inclined. If you are so inclined, you can find my videos at youtube.com slash Engadget, Engadget's YouTube channel, basically. Yeah. Um, I'm on Twitter at Chris Velasco, C-H-R-I-S-V-E-L-A-Z-C-O, and I know no one's going to get that because spelling is lame. Uh, so probably best thing is you just email me if you want to chat about whatever. I'm V at Engadget.com. Which I was really impressed with, by the way. I was just like, it was when I sent out the invitation, I'm like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> oh, it's it's one of the best parts of my job. Oh, that is an amazing that is an amazing part of your job. So, okay, great. Well, you can email all of your hate mail to v at engadget.com because he had, he had the temerity to give a 77 score to the most amazing phone of... 2020. So, Chris Velasco, once again, I want to thank you for coming on and, uh, you know, for sharing your opinion on the Galaxy Z Fold 2. And now that I've said the name correctly, probably for the first time in this interview, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks for very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's really good to hear from you. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. I would like to thank Chris Velasco for coming on and sharing all of his knowledge about the Galaxy Z Fold 2. I would like to thank Cliff Thomas for all of his hard work behind the scenes. But as always, most importantly, I would like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt. <laughs>